The information provided on this podcast is for general information purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Reliance on any information provided here is solely at your own risk. Welcome. This is Birth, baby. Your hosts are Sierra Morgan and Samantha Kelly. Sierra is a birth doula, hypnobirthing educator, and pediatric sleep consultant. Samantha is a birth doula, childbirth educator, and lactation counselor. Join us as we guide you through your options for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. Hi, today we're chatting with Dr. Elisa Gonzalez about all things jaundice. Dr. Elisa Gonzalez is a board certified and integrative certified pediatrician and lactation consultant. So she's an IBCLC for those of you that have heard that buzzword. Um, practicing at Blue Monarch Pediatrics in Lakeway, Texas, that's near Austin. She specializes in behavior, social emotional development, ADHD, and newborn care. And she understands that each child is a one of a kind individual and their health is influenced by various factors like physical, emotional, and social elements. Her approach is all encompassing, focusing on nurturing every aspect of a child's well being. And she looks beyond the symptoms to find the root causes and collaborates with families to create a customized care plan that promotes balance and harmony. And that is what I love most about her. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here, Dr. Elisa Gonzalez. And uh, do you want to get, just kind of get started and tell us a little bit about you and how you became a pediatrician? Yes, and thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You already gave such a great introduction about me. Um, I am also a mom of three, and I'm here locally in Lakeway. And kind of what got me into, you know, pediatrics and being a pediatrician Early on, I was very interested in puzzles. My mom said that too. I just like try and figure out puzzles. So I knew I wanted something problem solving. Um, my interest kind of expanded into as I got older, science and helping animals and people. Um, I had this like animal club, this animal rescue club, helping injured animals. And we did like snails. And I think the biggest animal we had was a bird. Oh, we did rabbits, baby rabbits. <laughs> but it started off with animals. So I knew I wanted to go into medicine. And so I applied to a medical academy for high school, Hightower. It's over in Missouri City. Um, and one night I was shadowing in the ER and there was this little boy, a four-year-old. He didn't have his parents with him. Um, and he had a huge injury on his forehead. And the neurosurgeon came up and was like, sir, you know, we're going to need to uh, suture the laceration. Do you have any questions? And I just remember seeing his eyes and they were just like full of tears. And I just grabbed his hand and I said, look, this nice man, he wants to fix your boo-boo and it's okay to be scared. Um, you're going to be fast asleep when it happens. You won't feel anything at all. And he just looked at me and smiled. And it was then I was like, I knew I wanted to work with children. And I thought I wanted to be an ER doc. But then I was, you know, realized that I really wanted continuity of care with the families. And so I felt like I could make the, the biggest um, impression on families and help kids if it was more of a con continuity of care. So, so that was a long story, a <laughs> long story short. Um, no, but that story, but yeah. I'm, a, I'm a doula and an empath. And I can't really get over the fact that this four-year-old was in the hospital room by himself when a doctor was talking to him and it's like breaking my mom heart yes it was so sad I was like I'm here for you if you need anything he's like okay <laughs> so precious that's so sweet it's so scary when our when our kids get hurt and it makes such a huge difference to have a provider there who's you know able to to 
bridge that a little bit. <laughs> so right. we're glad to have you on the scene. Um, so can you help explain to our listeners what jaundice is? Yes, great question. Um, so jaundice is a condition where the skin, so any of the skin, the whites of the eyes, you can even see it under the tongue. Um, it turns a little bit of a yellow, sometimes a lot of yellow um, tinge. And what happens is there's a, um, a pigment called bilirubin. And so it is the product of the breakdown. So your red blood cells normally breaks down. It could break down for various reasons. We'll talk about it in a little bit too. Um, but if the the blood cell breaks down, it'll uh, break down into like a little bit of a substance bilirubin, and that's what causes the jaundice because it's a it's yellow. And um, the way our body gets rid of it, there's two ways our body gets rid of it is through you know poop. <laughs> so yellow, that's why we're always like, does there yellow CD poop? Um, and then also the sun. So if the sun, um, if you're exposed to sun, it translates the bilirubin into a water soluble unit to get rid of it. So essentially sun and pooping it out is the way we can get rid of it. I knew what it, like I knew that sun worked, but I didn't know why. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. And it, the light, because it has like a blue green light tinge, the sun, when it hits the yellow, it makes the water soluble. It's really interesting. <laughs> wow. So you said like there are things that can cause it. So do you want to go over that real quick? Like what are the known causes of jaundice? And a lot of parents want to know, can I do anything to reduce the risk of my baby getting jaundice? Yes. Yeah, so there are certain things that can increase your risk and then minimal things to kind of prevent, but we'll talk about those too. So premature birth is a big one. So babies um, that are born before 36 weeks, they have underdeveloped livers. Our livers are what conjugates the bilirubin and helps get it out of our stool. And so if you can't conjugate it um, for various reasons, prematurity being one of them, then you can't get it out and it builds up. Um, so some things to prevent premature birth, you know, making sure as a mama, you're not so stressed out or taking those times to, um, you know, be out in nature or a good hour of just, you know, meditating or time for yourself, making sure all your chronic conditions are managed well. Um, if you do have a pre uh, history of preterm labor in the past, your physician may put you on a medication to prevent preterm. Um, and then infections like UTIs can cause premature delivery. So making sure that you're not increasing your risk of the, I mean, some of it's out of your control. Um, and then breastfeeding. So breastfed infants are at a slightly higher risk. Um, if they don't get enough fluid, they're not getting enough calorie initially, their gut goes a little bit slower and it doesn't eliminate that bilirubin. Um, so some things you can help with that. Antenatal expression is great. So it helps to establish milk supply early. And I teach all my mamas during our prenatal visit, they walk out with at least like one to five mLs of colostrum in hand before they're giving birth. And so it just really helps um, to establish it early and then setting it, setting it up so that they can get rid of the, the jaundice. Another thing is that... Um, it, it makes them high risk is the blood type incompatibility, something you can't control what blood type you are. Um, but if you have a blood type that's incompatible with baby, um, then it can just kind of attack the blood cells. And when the blood cells break down, you increase bilirubin, um, some things to prevent. So if you're RH negative, your doctor may give you a Rogam shot um, and Rogam can help protect the attack, called the attack on red blood cells. Um, bruising and birth trauma is another reason that you could be higher risk for um, high bilirubin. And that one, again, not something that can really um, 
be controlled, but if you have a traumatic you know, birth, maybe you guys can talk about preventing birth trauma um, at some point. But, you know, if you're able to do that, then um, you can decrease the amount of bruising, which also breaks down red blood cells and causing elevated bilirubins. Another one is um, genetic. So if you are East Asian or Mediterranean descent, again, nothing you can control. Those sometimes have higher risk of um, bilirubin due to genetic genetic, um, effects and factors. And then sibling history. To, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish your last one. Sibling history. Okay, my last one. Sibling history. So if you do have um, a history of multiple babies needing hyperbilirubin, your next baby does have a higher chance. However, I just had a mom, her first two needed um, phototherapy. We were able to, you know, establish antenatal expression and get baby latching and doing well. And she did, she did go, you know, pretty high, but she did awesome. And we didn't have to do phototherapy, which was great. Right. I have a couple of things. You got my brain pinging all over the place and (laughs) I'm just throwing stuff at you that I didn't even tell you that I was going to ask you. So buckle up. Um, One of them is, did you just say that breastfeeding is actually a risk factor for jaundice? So like formula fed babies don't get this as much. That's crazy. Right. So you're with formula, you are already providing that volume of, of, calories and food and fluid. And so the gut starts moving faster and you start eliminating bilirubin faster. So one of, you know, the treatments of high bilirubin is, okay, feed fluids, fluids, fluids. And so with, um, you know, babies who are breastfed that might not be able to establish good um, fluid intake. So their latches poor. Sometimes with C-section babies, they're not able to produce the milk right away. Um, and not get enough fluid, then they're not getting rid of the bilirubin that they do have. So it can be a slightly higher risk. Um, But I always tell families that should never um, deter you from breastfeeding because we can do things like antenatal expression. We can do things like having, you know, that colostrum with you, getting a good latch, there's lactation and either the hospital or, you know, home visits to get that, you know, intake, keeping the baby awake, you know, you know, wiping them with a cold wipe, keep them awake so that they do feed because a lot of times they're just exhausted, they're tired, and it's hard work to, to breastfeed for the baby after going through such an experience, whereas, you know, the bottle, it's just flowing through their mouth and there's fluid, and so they're able to take that a lot faster, so there's just a slightly increased risk. Yeah. I'm glad that you said that, that it's like, that's not a reason not to breastfeed. Um, and it's great that you're, I know that this isn't what we're here to talk about, but a pediatrician that is talking to moms before they have their babies, talking about being able to hand express so that you can, you know, supplement your baby with your own colostrum versus having to supplement with formula. If that's something that you want to do, some people are okay with it, but if you don't want to, um, being able to get their colostrum harvested ahead of time is really cool. Maybe we should even do a little mini episode on that sometime, Sam, about kind of prenatal, um, expression. And there was one other thing you said about Billy Rubin that, Oh, I'm not going to remember now. That's okay. We can move on. Sam, did you have anything? <laughs> um, I don't think anything extra, but I do have another question. Um, so I know like if babies have, you know, really high bilirubin, then, um, you know, sometimes they are 
they need to go on like the phototherapy lights right and so a lot of times they have to go like to the NICU or if they're in the hospital or sometimes they'll bring like the lights to the room so my son actually had um jaundice when he was born and they didn't find it until you know like day two or three when we were getting ready to go home and they're like oh well we're gonna have to keep him to put him on lights but we don't have a bed for you so you're gonna go home and you're gonna leave your baby here and I was like absolutely not that's like there's there's no world where that's happening and so thankfully my dad was there and he had had experience like 20 something years ago with his uh with my brother who had really severe jaundice and he came home on lights and so my dad said hey you know this was an option 25 years ago is this still a thing now like is there an option for lights and it was really, really difficult. Nobody had any idea what I was talking about. There was like very little options, but we finally found an option for him to come home on lights. And he yeah. spent like 12 hours on lights before our pediatrician was like, he's fine. He doesn't need this. No. <laughs> but I I know, you know, what are the other options if a parent doesn't want to, you know, fight that fight? What, let's make that a little more accessible for people. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. I'm a mom of three. You just want to go home. You don't want to stay any longer in the hospital and not leave your baby, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, you know, more extreme case. Um, Yeah, I do want to stress the dangers of hyperbilirubinemia because it can lead to chronicteris. What is, you know, chronicteris? It's when the bilirubin builds up in the brain. You can get neurologic damage, CP. I mean, when I worked in Peru, I saw a little boy who had CP. It doesn't, it rarely ever happens here because we have things in place. So it can be super frustrating in the hospital to stay longer than you planned. Um, And I will say that there are new guidelines. So recently I had a mom come home with much earlier and a higher billy than I'd ever seen in the past because they're adopt the hospital. It takes time, but the hospitals are finally adopting some of these new recommendations. The AP came out with a guideline in 2022, stressed, yes, the importance of testing, but then also more conservative recommendations about the treatment specifically with phototherapy. Um, So it's great that some of the hospitals around here, and I'm hopeful that when they are saying it now that you need to stay longer a night to monitor levels, it's because it's necessary versus not. Um, But, you know, however, with that said, um, I've had families leave early. They will, we will make an arrangement. They'll tell the hospital, Hey, I really want to go. Um, I have a pediatrician in place. She will see me even on the weekend. So make sure you have a pediatrician that will test and monitor for Billy whenever you're um, interviewing for pediatricians, because I will have families leave the hospital, some even before the 24 hour mark, um, because they're like, I just want to get home and I'll speak with the, you know, the pediatrician in the hospital. Hey, I'm, I'll take over their care. Um, I will see them in the morning. We will do a, you know, Billy Rubin. Um, test and go from there. So if you do want to leave early, you know, having a pediatrician or some, a health provider to test the billy to monitor that if it is a little elevated is really important, um, you know, for your baby's health. And then finding someone who you would be able to do that. And you brought a great point up about um, doing the the treatment in the home. So currently, and there's two two unique things about our clinic is we do a transcutaneous, I have like a Jager machine, the same one that the NICU has. So I don't poke for blood unless we're about to start treatment just to make sure that um, the machine was accurate. And it's been like 0.1 off every time I've, I've tested, um, but I'll do the machine. It's a little light that taps onto the skin, baby's fast asleep, non-traumatic. And then if, you know, it, it is high, then um, I will 
um, talk with a family. Uh, there's a company, BillyBlanketBaby.com. I'm trying to remember it. Um, and they they charge $95 a day. So I'll send them a script and it'll go directly to the house and I can monitor the baby on lights in their home um, with no problem. It's hard for other, you know, pediatricians outpatient because you can't bring your baby on lights to the, to the clinic to get a test. And so the majority of the times they are sent um, to the NICU. But if you can find a pediatrician that, you know, is willing to do um, the billy blanket in the home, that's you know, fantastic sparing, you know, going to the NICU and being in the hospital any longer. So unfortunately, the reason that we even considered doing this podcast, what made us want to do it was, and I'm not going to say where, but there is a hospital in Austin that we have repeatedly had patients or our clients be told the baby needs to stay another night because we need to check their bilirubin levels in the morning. And sometimes it's not even that they want to be on lights overnight. It's like they're, we're going to check them in the morning and see if they need to start it. And it just seems very money hungry to us. Like it just seems very strange to be telling people that we just need to see. So I don't know if you can, and if you can't, I understand because it's a medical question. Um, is there like a number where it's like, okay, this is a dangerous level that parents can have in their mind so that if they ask, like I'm making up numbers here, cause I'm so not medical. My baby's number is three and 11 is like the scary number. But now that they're telling it's three, like I feel more comfortable going home and doing it at home. Whereas the number 50 would be like, we've got to stay. Yes. So billytool.org, I believe it's org. Billy tool. Look at it. You put in your baby's um, hour of life, you put in the number that they drew and it'll tell you. And that's the tools we used as, you know, we use as pediatricians and it'll say it needs to be rechecked within this many hours. It needs to be, you know, maybe it's safe level. It doesn't need to be rechecked, but it'll tell you where you are in terms of, you know, danger zone, high risk, moderate risk. Does it need to be repeated or not? And it's, you know, they, you can even ask, and this is a great point of being like an advocate for your child. You can say, you know, where, how high is that? Can I see a chart or something that shows that, you know, is he trending up, trending down? Um, and then also saying, hey, if he needs to be checked next morning, can we set up an appointment with my pediatrician and they do it? Or some hospitals will write an ER slip of Billy, like a, a lab order, and they just go through the ER. They don't actually do an ER visit, but they just do go through the lab and get a Billy test, and then they'll follow up like, okay, that's what it is. So you're not having to stay in the hospital any day longer um, for that. There's The problem is, and it's not really money-hungry hospitals, the problem is there's just not a lot of support and setup for, for kids who have, you know, jaundice and bilirubin. and you just kind of send them home and hope that, they do go to their pediatricians the next day. And a lot of pediatricians can't see next day, same day in this area, because it's just, they're already overbooked and, you know, 30, 40 patients a day and trying to get them in, it may not be feasible. And so they are really concerned and they want, you know, pediatricians also are advocates for the babies. And so making sure that the babies are safe versus, you know, And I don't mean to make it sound like the doctors are bad by any means. I'm I'm not saying that. It's just, we have had a couple where it's been really sketchy where we're like, I mean, the baby's not even on lights, but you want to check the baby the next morning to like, be sure. Why can't we just come back? Some of them have just seemed incongruent. Um, But that does remind me of my other question that I was going to ask you earlier, which is, you know, you're saying 
that breastfeeding, for example, if you're doing it and it takes a little while for your milk to come in, even though the baby might be fine, the jaundice levels are going to be higher. And same with um, you know, just all of the things that you said, seems like this would have been a problem forever. So is it that this is a newer problem or is it this has been a problem forever and we now have billy blankets so we're having like less incidence of CP like you're saying and now that we can handle it more, we're not having as many fetal deaths, things like that. Is that what it is? Right. So we're able to monitor level because back in the day, we used to just do it by eyesight. And like the new guideline says eyesight's inaccurate. It can be super high and cause neurologic damage without being highlighter yellow. It used to be, hey, if they're highlighter yellow, yes. Um, but we it, it's hard to know exactly their level until you actually test. The new guidelines say test within 24 hours and then go by that, whether it needs to be repeated or if they need their phototherapy, because it can, it can rise really quickly and really fast. And then you, you, if you're not in a setting where you can bring it down quickly, then it can be harmful. And, you know, the hospital too, they see the worst of the worst. Like they see all of, you know, I've, I mean, I wasn't, when I was in the NICU, we were pulling blood and giving blood to newborn baby with high level, high levels of bilirubin so that they don't have neurologic damage. And so a lot of these physicians too, they're practicing from that standpoint. I've seen the worst of the worst. What's one more day? What's one more night? And then make sure they're totally, totally safe to go home. Um, but now with these new guidelines, I'm hopeful that they won't have to keep these babies because they're not having to repeat the tests that even some of these higher levels that previous, um, previously were. Um, so yeah, we'll see. So it sounds like, you know, some of the important things for parents to know is is to be chatting with your pediatricians before you even have your baby about, is it possible, um, you know, for you to test? And, you know, it, if it is possible for you to test and baby does need lights, are you able to kind of help facilitate the, the home lights? Yeah. Um, yeah. And be an advocate, you know you know, some levels are really low and they can go home asking like, how low is this? And can it be done in the hospital? Can it be done on a lab, not the hospital? Can it be done in the lab? Can it be done at my clinic? Um, you're, once you become a mom, you become your advocate for your child. Um, and the only yeah. way that you can get that, you know, support and the, the services your child needs. Yeah, it's a learned skill that we all have to kind of figure out as we're tumbling rapidly downhill holding a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, whatever, you, uh, like at that point after you have a baby, you're like, whatever you say. That's exactly um, right. That's but exactly right, having right. that plan first is so important. So you talk with your pediatrician before you have your baby. So you have a plan in place if Billy is too high. And we talk about it too, if glucose too is too high, I'm like, you bring that colostrum, frozen colostrum. So you're, you can help with your Billy. You can help with your glucose. You can help early on. So, you know, having that bond and that um, relationship with your pediatrician before even having the baby is going to be an important advocate as well. Because families will text me while in the hospital, like, hey, this is what's happening. I was like, yeah, let's do this or let's do that or see if they can do this. And, you know, there's no, no hurt, and no harm in asking, right? Which is so huge, so huge. I really think that was a big part of why I was able to bring my son home on lights because I had a family doctor who gave me his personal cell phone number and said, please text me when you have your baby and we'll just go from there. And so when they were like, oh, we're gonna keep your baby and you have to go home, I texted him and he was like, no, we'll, we can do this. <laughs> and it was amazing. And he came in you know, to clinic on a Saturday morning for me, which a lot of people don't have that. So figuring that out is also a really, really big piece, maybe coloring outside of the lines when you're choosing your pediatrician. Um, 
looking for pediatricians who are able to support that can be helpful, sounds like. <laughs> right. Um, so what is the process of dealing with jaundice at home? What does that look like? Yeah, so typically, so a family will come home either from the hospital or say it's at home birth, I'll go around one or two days, I'll visit them, I'll bring my little Jager machine, um, and I'll always test the bilirubin on the first visit just to see the level is, and if it is high, so it depends on the level, of course, whether we just need indirect sunlight from the sun and increased um, fluid, or do we need to order, you know, Billy, Billy Blanket and and I'll send in a script to that company, billyblanketbaby.com, and um, they'll send out a, a billy blanket. I'll put a little sticker on because um, that's just how you test. You'll put a little, kind of like a little Band-Aid um, because if you just, if you do the lights and you test where you're doing, where you're doing the lights, it really doesn't indicate the level deeper in. <laughs> so anyway, you put a sticker, it's a process, and then I will um, test the billy ribbon every single day until it goes down. Sometimes I have had to do it every six hours till it goes down uh, until they're in more of a safe zone. Never have I ever had to, fortunately, um, send them to the NICU or do anything more extreme than treatment with a belly blanket or lights and, and fluid. I can see how this would be really intimidating for new parents, especially if it's their first baby. You know, some people would just like, put me in the hospital. That's fine. You know, I feel more safe there. And that's totally fine. But you're right. People that have had home births or birth center births who didn't even start in the hospital, that's, it's more intimidating to have to go into the hospital setting for this. So, you know, people wonder about cost. And I know you said $95 a day for the, for the billy blankets to rent. And then I'm sure that they have to pay you some amount to be coming to the home or whoever doctor that they're going to be seeing. How many days is an average, or do you typically see someone needing to have these? Is this like a two to three day thing, or could this be weeks? In terms of treatment? Yeah. I mean, it varies, but, you know, no longer than two to three days that I've had to do it. Okay. Um, extreme cases, those are the ones seen in the hospital where they're having to do blankets and triple lights and, and things like if there's high, you know, if their elevations are super high. Um, these are the ones in the hospital, but not no longer than two or three days because it's most likely breastfeeding, you know, jaundice or they're just not getting fluid or baby's tired is the, the biggest cause. Um, if it's anything else, like if there's a, something wrong with the liver or if there's um, other things going on that's more severe levels and those are, you know, in the hospital. But if it's something that can be treated at home, it's the normal jaundice, you know, two or three max. Okay. I do. It is like this crazy cycle, right? Of, well, you have to feed your baby more or they're going to have higher jaundice, but when they have jaundice, they're really tired. So they don't want to feed as much. So you got to wake them up because they're really tired and you got to feed them more, but it's really hard to keep them awake because they're tired. So it's like constant. And going then you're tired. Yeah. You're tired. When I remember with my son, um, you know, sometimes I go to a postpartum follow-up visit for a birth doula client and they're saying like, my baby just is sleeping all the time and it's hard to wake them up for, and they don't have jaundice or anything, but still it's just difficult. Babies like to sleep only when you're not sleeping. Uh, so they, they'll say this and they're like, look, he just falls asleep on the boob. I'm like, you might need to put him all the way down to his diaper. And I was like, roll a cold little water bottle on his belly, you know? And I know it seems like mean, but like, you got to get the baby to wake up. So I remember doing that with my son. It was like, I'd rub the bottom of his feet to try to get him to yeah. feed more. And you're like, you got to make him mad, um, which seems right. like feels bad, but it's better than having a baby that isn't getting enough 
fluid, right? And you don't have to do that for long. So it may be a day that you have to kind of wake them up, get them a little angry. So they're drinking more because once they're drinking more, they're getting more energy, they're getting more sugar, then they'll do it on their own. It's just, I mean, it's, you can't run a marathon on, on empty. And so um, once they get some sugar, then they're like, okay, we can do this. And then, and they're fine. But yeah, I say, you know, wipes, cold wipes on them, wake them up um are changing diapers they're like they hate being changed they're well great do that just you know to wake them up and we can feed them and just do it for a day um but just yeah not long not long yeah which is i mean that's more doable right like when you think of it it is small chunks little pieces of time that you need to do it for the long-term benefit so is there anything else that we need to know about jaundice and babies this has been super helpful yeah one of the you know questions that I get a lot of is delayed cord clamping and um, jaundice. So I'm delayed... so glad you said that. If we got off of here and I hadn't asked you that, I'd be so mad. <laughs> yes, it's a very common question. And so um, delayed cord clamping is when baby is born and it's clamped after 60 seconds or when the, it stops pulsing the pulse cord. Um, and the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecology, so ACOG, um, they, they, uh, published a study that shows that peak bilirubins were higher in infants in the delayed umbilical cord clamping group. Um, but there was no statistically significant difference in the need for phototherapy, which is very important. So they didn't need any other therapies. They didn't need any other interventions. Their, you know, Billy was just a little bit more um, elevated. And so I, I get some pushback, you know, so we do during prenatal visits, I'll say, okay, we want to do it you know, we want to, it's great to do. You can decide what you want to do, but I give them that, you know, the benefits of delayed cord clamping after 60 seconds, you know, one minute to five minutes is what the studies show. It helps with, um, you know, anemia, right? So iron storage, your breast milk does not, you know, it's very low in iron. The babies get the iron from when they're inside in utero and then also through the cord until they can eat at six months. And so if they don't do delayed cord clamping, we end up, you know, having to supplement more iron and that's rough on the gut. And it's just, so I talk with them all about risks and benefits of delayed cord clamping. And they'll talk with some of their, um, uh, their OB guides and they'll say, well, it's going to increase the risk of bilirubin. We don't do it past 30 seconds. And so I've had to send a research. I'm like, send this. It's, it's from their journal. It's from their journal. Um, it's not going to increase any more treatments or anything like that. Yes, it is going to increase your level possibly of Billy, you know, uh, of Billy Rubin, but not significantly enough that you would require any other treatments. And then you can save your baby from doing all this iron supplementation anemia um, in the future. And so there is this kind of misconception about um, delayed cord clamping, but I think. Um, a lot of hospitals now are, at least this year, they've, they've um, done one, two, three minutes. I had one hospital yeah. do it till it stopped pulsing. And I was like, yes, this is great. And sometimes the providers, like from the birth aspect, sometimes the providers are just open to doing whatever the person wants. Um, pretty standard in Austin, at least across the board, pretty standard for one minute of delayed cord clamping. But right. we talk to our clients about delayed versus optimal. Delayed is one minute. Optimal is until the cord stops pulsating. And you can't always get that in a hospital set. I mean, you could, but you're going to sit there and argue. And then that increases your risk of hemorrhage and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so, but when we talk to people about this with the delayed cord clamping, that's always their worry is, but my doctor said it could cause jaundice. And my reply is, well, but babies who had more of their own cord blood have more vigor 
and intensity to want to eat because I have more energy. So they're going to faster. They're going to be able to eat and then they're going to be able to poop. And that's what we want them to do to get rid of it. So that's really exciting to hear you say that um, it's not significant enough to increase the need of phototherapy. And I think that that's a really an important takeaway from this is, and I had a dad once we were, I was at a birth. He got super mad. They called me afterward. Uh, Very, very, very smart man, like super intelligent and he calls me and he's like, they want to keep the baby because they say that his bilirubin levels are high, but that's not fair that they are comparing him to babies that didn't have delayed cord clamping. That's what the numbers are based off of is these babies that didn't have that. And they need to have new numbers for babies that get all of their own blood. And I was like, breach, go sing it on the mountain. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> School everybody there. I agree with you. <laughs> so so good. That's a good advocate for, you know, for his child. He's calling me and I look like the jerk. He's like, my doula said, and I was like, don't say that. Don't. <laughs> we did not say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it. So if people want to learn more from you or want to have your support dealing with jaundice at home, how can they get a hold of you? Yes. So um, if they go online, the bluemonarchpediatrics.com, you can set up a meet and greet. You can chat with you know, me or my partner, Dr. W, Dr. Whitaker. He um, is also seeing patients with this model. We talk about the model and how we support um, you both in home and pediatric, all through pediatric care. Um, and then you can sign up once you, so for baby, so for moms who are pregnant, um, you can get in for prenatal visit before two weeks. I always say two weeks before find your pediatrician or get in with a you know, prenatal visit. They can schedule that right off the bat. And then once your baby is born, you just send it. I love seeing text messages of the baby. So we have a text messaging app and they'll send a baby picture, you know, so-and-so is born this many pounds. And then we'll, you know, go from there um, to support them. But yes, online is the best way to start. Um, fill out a contact sheet or email us or just schedule directly a meet and greet right now. You can hop on and just schedule a time to to talk with us. And just because I know that people are going to ask us as of this recording, which is early January, are y'all currently accepting new patients? Yes, we are. So yeah, we just, Dr. Whitaker just started. So he is, and I still am as well. You guys, I chatted with Dr. Whitaker, I don't know, a couple of months ago, we did a meet and greet on Zoom. I loved him so much. This model of care is so cool. Maybe we can do another like little mini episode sometime about what what that model of care is and what it's like because you're not the only one with it. So it would be helpful for people to kind of understand that. Um, mm-hmm. But it That'd is more awesome. of like, I call it like the concierge <laughs> service. But I just love it. And the way that you guys treat the whole family and the whole child rather than uh, treating just symptoms, I really appreciate. So thank you so much for taking time to come on and uh, chat with our, our listeners about this. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I'm honored to come and chat with you guys. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Birth Baby. Thanks again to Longing for Orpheus for our music. You can look him up on Spotify. Remember to leave a review, share, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.